Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. We're really glad that you're here uh, to worship with us. I wanted to give you an update on a few things. And as Veronica and Jared are leaving the stage, they didn't know I was going to say this. Um, I just wanted to thank them. And so let's give them a hand for leading us in worship. As, as many of you know, over the last uh, month since we've gotten started as a church, we had our first services back in October. We had our grand opening back in February. And this whole time, we started a church without a worship leader. And uh, that's usually not like the best goal to go about starting a church. But uh, with the network of churches that we're a part of called the 17-6 Network, and with just many prayers that we've been able to fill uh, worship leaders for these last few weeks and for all of our services. And Jared and Veronica have been here uh, quite a few times, and today is the last Sunday that they're going to be helping uh, lead worship at Ridgeview, and so we really appreciate all that you guys have done uh, to lead us. And next week, um, I'm happy to announce that we actually have a new worship leader uh, for Ridgeview Church, and so uh, let's give them a hand. You're like, who, who is it? Well, they're going to be here next week, and so you have to come back to find out who it is. It may just surprise you. No. Uh, it's Garrett and Jenny, who Garrett's actually led for us uh, a couple of weeks as well. And uh, today is their last Sunday at their church, Orange Crest Community Church in Riverside. And so they're really going to be transitioning over to focus on helping us uh, get Ridgeview uh, started. And so I really look forward to them being with us. And if you get a chance next week and in the weeks to follow uh, to meet them, uh, they'll be up here uh, leading with us. And so just wanted to give you an update on that. Thank you for, for all the prayers. And I wanted just to update you on a, a couple other things as it relates to today. Today is Palm Sunday, as Jared mentioned, and we're going to celebrate really that Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which marks his last week on this earth. And there's a few things that we're going to look at in the scriptures that we're going to be able to focus on today and then this next week as we get ready uh, for Easter. Uh, but one thing I wanted to highlight was some things that have been happening that are kind of related to the celebration of Jesus. And we had our first Ridgeview baptism last Sunday. And uh, it was a great time of celebrating the, the, the difference that Christ has made in the lives of people. And we had four people that uh, obeyed him in, in getting baptized. And so I wanted to show you a video of that from last week. celebrate with all those that got baptized last week. And that, that, that song wasn't playing when we, we baptized them, but that's kind of what I imagine in my head. So I wanted you guys just to know that. That's really what I hear is this, this happiness of people that have decided to, to give their life uh, over to Jesus. And so I wanted just to acknowledge that if you missed it. It was a great celebration, and we really are happy and joyous about the difference that, that God's making here at Ridgeview Church. And so 
Uh, thank you for all those that were involved and got baptized. And then also, uh, yesterday, we had a, a group of people help us uh, pass out door hangers, as Joel mentioned. And there's a pic of us that I wanted to show and just thank all those that, that helped. That's a crew yesterday that uh, came. And over the last, basically, week and a half, we've passed out around 5,000 uh, door hangers, inviting people to our Easter service. And um, we're going we're gonna to kind of add a slogan to, to Ridgeview Church. Ridgeview Stur- uh, Church, you can get your steps here, you know, like Fitbit. Yep. Not, not really. Okay, I won't change it. But uh, what, what it does take is it takes a group of people uh, really coming alongside us to get the word out. And that happens in lots of ways. Uh, one of the key ways is just letting people know that we're here. And as a new church, people don't know. And so we've kind of hit up different neighborhoods in North Montana and in Rialto and all around, letting them know that we're a church here, and we want to welcome them and invite them in. And I want to ask you to consider uh, who you can invite to join us next week. There's people that you're connecting to in your life, people that you work with, family, friends, neighbors, that I will never meet. And maybe no one else here at this church will meet them, uh, but, but you will. And God's put you in a unique place to interact with the people that God has placed in your life. And so on the info table uh, are some door hangers that you can take with you. If you'd like just to pass them out in your own neighborhood, uh, you can do that. Uh, We also have some flyers that Joel mentioned that you can pass out to people. And I think the best invitation uh, for people is a personal invitation. And so if there's just somebody that God's put on your heart that you think, you know, I want to invite them, I I encourage you to do that uh, this next week. And so you can find those uh, on the info table uh, as, as you leave. So like, like I mentioned, today is a Palm Sunday, and this is really one of the most focal points in history uh, that gets the attention of, of people for, for centuries, and thousands and thousands of people are pausing right now around the world to remember uh, the last week of Jesus' life. And it's very easy uh, in this modern day, and especially in the West, to get so caught up on everything Easter like, where are we going? What are we going to eat? All the prep. Do I have enough Easter eggs? All, all of those. And those are fun, and that's part of the celebration. But the reason we, we celebrate Easter and the reason we celebrate Christmas is Christmas is for the, the birth of Christ. And Easter is really about the death of Christ, but not just his death, but the resurrection and the new life. And so I want to take some time to focus on how can we make the most of this week of getting ready for Easter and take time enough to, to focus on the things that we should. And so I'm going to speak from a passage that kind of introduces Jesus's final week and his, his entry into Jerusalem, which was wrapping up his life here on this earth. He started his public ministry at age 30, and it lasted for three years until he was 33. And in those three years, he has changed the world. But it was in that last week that you see really the full combination of, of all that, that he did. And so that's what I want to focus on. And so uh, the scripture will be up here on the screen, and, and I, I'm just going to read through it. And then if, if you want, each week we put a handout in your program. There's a pen, and you can take notes if you want to. But on the handout, I also put the scriptures so you could have that to read uh, also for yourself uh, this week. So I want to read this. I'm going to read the whole thing through, and then I'm going to kind of talk about different aspects of what this means for us today. So this is the triumphal entry of, of King Jesus Uh, in the book of of John, John 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the feast is talking about the Passover feast. 
So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And it wraps up. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Looking, Look, the world has gone after him. And so this is the account, and this account is found in the book of John. But it's also found in the book of Matthew in chapter 21, the book of Mark in chapter 11, and the book of Luke in chapter 19. And so all of the Gospels, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. The Gospels are written about Jesus' life, and they all have their own version of the same event. And this is this last week where Jesus comes to Jerusalem to wrap up his life. And in this event in John, it's talking about some things that have happened. And there's this large crowd that had gathered. And in this passage, it mentions uh, a Passover feast. And so at this time when the, the Passover came, people would come from all their different villages and all their towns, and they would all come to Jerusalem to gather for the Passover. And so it was like the largest crowd at once would be in Jerusalem when the Passover feast was taking place. And I believe Jesus timed his triumphal entry at this moment, because he wanted the mass crowds to see him. He wanted people that had heard his name to get a first-hand glance of who he was. And so that was one of the big events that was happening, this Passover feast, and all these people had come. And they wanted to get sight of Jesus because of an event that had taken place right before this, and that happened in the city of Bethany, which is a village about two and a half miles away from Jerusalem. In the city of Bethany, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. A dear friend of his, he had died, and four days later, Jesus had raised him from the dead. So you can imagine at this time, there's all these people gathering for this Passover feast, trying to focus, but what they're really trying to figure out is, is where, where is Jesus? And is the story we heard about him raising Lazarus, is that, is that true? And so there's this sense of all this excitement, and people wanting to get their eyes on Jesus, and they'd heard about his teaching. They may have witnessed some of the miracles, but this final was like the biggest miracle he had ever performed, raising somebody from the dead. This was a sign of what was to come. They didn't know it yet. So there's this huge amount of people and this big miracle that just happened and everyone's just trying to get their their eyes on Jesus. So Jesus enters the city and the picture is one of a king entering to the crowds of people that are proclaiming and exalting his, his majesty. And the reason this is important is because the kind of king that, that Jesus came and, and the kind of king that he portrayed is, is what we can learn about what it means to follow him. So there's three aspects to this kind of triumphal entry that I, I want to walk us through because these aspects of the way he's king relates to us today. And so I want to I look at that, and there's three things. So what kind of king did we welcome to our world? At Christmas, we focus a lot on the baby Jesus, and that's important to celebrate because it was the beginning of his life. He came as a man, fully man and fully God, and he dwelled with us. Emmanuel, God with us. No point in history that happened. And so Christmas is that time where we, we, we celebrate this God was with us. 
And at the end of his life, Easter is the time where we celebrate that not only was he with us, but he was the king. And what he was going to do in his final week was going to change history. And not only was going to change history, it had the opportunity to change each of us. And so this question, what kind of a king did we welcome to our world, is what I want to focus on. And the first one you'll see there on the screen is that he's the rightful king. Now, if you go back to John 12, what I read, uh, in verse 13, it says this. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. So this is a picture that we don't ordinarily see. Uh, usually when we're in a parade or usually when there's like a big crowd of people, the first thing we're not grabbing is palm trees. Have you ever been in a parade where you're waving palm trees? You ever, you ever done that? I, actually, when I was a kid, I had a Sunday school teacher that on Palm Sunday got palm trees for all of the like, leaves for all the kids, and we waved them as people came to church. It was really awesome. I kind of wanted to redo that, but I was like, you know, a little too soon. Don't want to freak people out. But uh, there's a picture of just this celebration. Well, in this time, this, this kind of, of greeting was reserved for, for royalty. And I want to focus on two aspects of what the people did and what the people said that supports the fact that Jesus was the rightful king. He was worthy of this triumphal entry. So the first thing that they did was they grabbed these palm trees and they waved them. They grabbed the palm trees and they, they laid them on the ground. And in Matthew, their account says they took their cloaks off and they laid it all in the street. And so the idea is like, this is the king and he has come. And we don't want any part of him or what he's riding on to touch the ground. There's a sense of like, this is the most important person that we've ever met. And they, they cry out, Hosanna. And this is what they said. And that literally means long live the king. We've heard that phrase throughout history, long live the king. And that's the, the idea of Hosanna. It's really the same. The Lord will save us. Long live the king. Let the king live forever. And so those are the things that they're saying in their mouth. Hosanna, just like that song that we sang this morning. You don't say this to just a normal person. You don't say this to somebody who doesn't do anything extraordinary. But what the people are saying is there's things that we have seen and there's things that we have heard that make this person the hope that we've been longing for. And what they're referring to is the prophecies about the Messiah that was coming. And so even in their words, they are actually going back to the Old Testament to point to this moment in history. And they mention this in John, and it's coming from Zechariah 9.9. And here it's up on the screen. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. So what's interesting about this, the people, as they were saying, Hosanna, blessed he is who come. And then they say, as it is written, the king is coming to us. They're actually referring to their teachings that were written 500 years before this moment. It's amazing. Jesus comes and he makes his entrance. And the people with their palm trees welcome the rightful king. And they're pointing back to something that was said 500 years previously. Saying, this moment is here. The king is here. And as they put the palm trees down, the palms represent two things. First, uh, strength. Palms, uh, they, they flourish in the desert. There's a strength to them. And also, uh, beauty, they're evergreen. No matter the climate they're in, they, they stay green. And so the people are saying is there's, there's strength and there's beauty in this king that's coming to us. This is the moment that we've longed for. Because behold, the king is coming, righteous and having salvation is he. And so I, I want to, to highlight this because 
Many times we get in a place where in the middle of everything we're doing, we, we forget this reality. If Jesus was who he said he was, and he did what he said he did, and if he did die for us, and if he did rise again, and that is true, then he is the king. And because he's the king, then he deserves our worship. He deserves our celebration. And everything that we do in our lives centers on this fact that he is the rightful king. And so thousands and thousands and thousands of people were proclaiming this. Now, Palm Sunday, actually in history, could have taken place somewhat on the Monday. So wherever it falls, either on the Sunday or the Monday. But this moment at the beginning of the week, everyone is saying, the rightful king is here. He's come. Long live the king. But what we know about history, what we know about Jesus' life is that this was the beginning of a very different path. And I want to focus on the second aspect of him being a king. Not only is he the rightful king, but according to the scripture, he's the humble king as well. And you see this in the scripture as well in John. It says this, if you put that on the the screen there, the humble king, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, this was written 500 years before. And lo and behold, Jesus, as he enters the city, comes on the donkey, just as it was prophesied. Now, I don't know about you, but my thought of entering a city as the king, as the rightful king, with power and with authority, I'm not really thinking a donkey is going to do it, right? Uh, there's a picture up of a, a donkey and a, and, a, and a horse. If you had your choice of which one you want to ride, which one would you choose? The horse. Doesn't it kind of look like, you know, it's a little sturdier? Looks a little better. No offense, donkeys, but it's true. So everything in the outward appearance seems like, okay, with this, I'm going to go with the horse. But this is significant because Jesus, in him coming as the rightful king, is showing that I'm not only the king, but I'm a certain type of king, a king that you've never seen. I'm a humble king, and I'm in line with the scriptures have said. I am going to come on a donkey, not just a donkey, but a baby donkey. And he sat lower as he entered the city. He was accessible as he entered the city. And this picture is, is I I am here. Uh, you, You can have access to me. He was accompanied by ordinary men, his disciples. They weren't royalty. They weren't princes. But here he comes on a humble horse with humble men saying, this is what my kingdom is. It's a humble kingdom that's ruled by a humble king. But it's not even the picture of the donkey that's significant, even though it is. This was also significant of what Jesus was going to do. And he was going to humble himself to do for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And that was to pay the penalty for our sin. And so Jesus is the humble king because all the people were proclaiming, long live King Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed is he. And in his blessing, he knew that he wasn't going to come and conquer any power or human army. He he was actually going to conquer sin itself. But in that, it was going to cost him his own life. And so Jesus did not come to conquer men. He came uh, to conquer sin. I want to 
read in Philippians 2 uh, the picture of this. And this is written to a church who was just getting started. Now, this is after Jesus had died and he had rose again. And people decided, okay, we're going we're to follow this Jesus. He, he's who he said he was. And he said he was going to do that. And he did. And we've seen him. And he came back for a period of time after he rose from the dead. And many followers saw him. Many of the crowd saw him. And many turned to follow him. And so the church got started at this point, and the spread of Christianity began. And we're here today in the United States because of the movement that started in the first century in the Middle East. And as this church was getting started, there was this reminder always to go back to the way of Christ. And it's the same for us today. We have to go back to his way, his attitude, his methods. And this is what it says in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The reason it's significant is because at this point in history, all the crowds had gathered. And they're welcoming him to reign. They're welcoming him to lead them. But the humble king chose a different path. And he chose a path where he actually, although he was fully God, in his human form, he he emptied himself so that the penalty of sin could be paid. The penalty of sin, according to Scripture, is, is death. And Jesus knew that by humbling himself, his death would mean that 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 payment would be made with his life. He lived a perfect life, and he could carry the world's sin upon his shoulder. And so he chose the the path of humility. We find this in John 3, 16, a famous verse that you may have heard before. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Have you ever seen a game, they hold like the game, like John 3, 16 up, the sign? This is actually what it says, and I added 17. But it's, it's kind of become like a popular thing, like you, just, you see the sign. But in this verse, and in verse 17 as well, you really do see the culmination of what this whole week is about. He came because God sent him. And why did God send him? Because he loves us. Because he loved us, and there's a separation because of the choices we've made. And the choices are independence. They're rebelling from God. It's doing what we want on our own terms, in our own way, and we've, we've distanced ourselves from God. We don't want anything to do with him. And so there's this, this sin and this penalty and this separation from us and God, so we, we don't have a relationship with him. But because, because God made us and we don't have a relationship with him, our, our lives are actually incomplete. There's a brokenness that we experience. And because of sin, the world is also broken, and we see brokenness in the world. And so as Jesus entered his final week on earth, he did so not only as the rightful king, but this humble king who was willing to lay down his life for us, for me, and for you, and for everyone in the whole world. And he came signifying, this is the path that I'm going to lead. And to follow Christ means that we actually follow in his humble footsteps. So the way of the kingdom of God is actually a humble kingdom. And the people had no idea. They thought our Messiah is here. 
It's time to take back our power. See, everyone at that moment was under Roman rule, and they're in Jerusalem thinking, when are we going to be in power again? When are we going to do what we've been called to do as God's chosen people? Why is God forsaken? We want his Messiah. We long for his Messiah. And they celebrated the Messiah coming. But you can imagine Jesus riding on his donkey as they're proclaiming his name, knowing that a few days later, the Hosanna would change to crucify. The blessed would change to kill him. And how quickly the tide changed. And I think one of the things that's happening is in history, in this moment, there are so many people that are celebrating that God was going to give them exactly what they wanted. And Jesus came and said, I'm not going to give you exactly what you want. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. And I think that's how we are today. We can get so wrapped up in what God can give us that we fail to realize what he's already given us. And that's exactly what we need. It's the payment of our sin. And he's allowed us to join in a relationship back with God. And that speaks to the next aspect. So he is the rightful king. This is why the people celebrated him. This is why they put palm trees down. And he was the humble king. Not only for how he entered and how he was successful, but because he was going to come and die. Then the third aspect is just as important as the other two. And that is, he is the victorious king. And this is where the kingdom of God is somewhat upside down. Because when you think humble, you don't think victory. When you think humble, you think defeat. What Jesus knew is that his death was not going to be the final chapter. He knew that his death represented the conquering of sin. And he knew that he would rise again. And the payment would be made. And it would be complete on our behalf. This is what the people proclaimed back in John 12. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so he was coming in the name of the Lord. And this idea of blessed is this picture of of victory. It's going to be a completion. Everything that we hope for will be, will be made. And this is an allusion to another prophecy in Psalm 118. So everything that's happening in this moment, Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of all that's been said. And this is what he was alluding to in Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so the people, as they're welcoming him, they're saying, save us, save us. Free us. Free us. And I think that's still what people are saying today. They're caught in bondage. They're caught in slavery. And it could be slavery to success. It could be slavery to sin. It could be just just caught in this just stuck. I can't change. I can't grow. And, and the people at this time, they were, they were just stuck in, in a government that was against them. And we can have people against us, and we can be in really difficult circumstances. And we, we can turn to God and say, save us, save us, help us, free us. And Jesus came and says, I, I will. But it might not be how you think. They were saying, you're, you're going to bring us success, you're going to bring us victory. And, and, and he did. So it's really interesting at the end of the John account, if you go to 19, says this, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. 
So the Pharisees at this time were already plotting to take Jesus, to take Jesus out. He was this person who, from their mind, was starting this revolution that was going to shake up the world. And what was true is that he was and he did. But they thought from taking him out and arresting him, and hopefully according to their plan, killing him, that it would actually end the movement. There would be no more Christ. What's so interesting is in their plotting and in their plan, what they didn't realize is that was the plan all along. Because again, why did God send Jesus? He sent Jesus to die for us. He sent Jesus to conquer sin for us. And he sent Jesus to rise again from the dead. And I love this this phrase because I, I, I think it is so telling. Look, the world has gone after him. So the Pharisees are saying this is slipping away. His popularity is getting so big now that if we take him, this, this thing is out of control. We can't control what's going to happen. But little do they know that the crowd that was after him soon turned against him. And I was thinking in my own life how it's so easy to get caught up in fads. And even in a relationship, as you look towards God, and many times it's easy, God, I just need you to help me this one thing, and if you do this, I'll do whatever you want. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Just fix this hard thing. Get me out of this, and, and we'll, we'll do whatever God wants. And then oftentimes the pressure subsides, and we forget God. You ever done that? It's like, you just, did I say that? I, I didn't mean that. And we just get in these situations again, and again, when we go after him, but it, it's just emotion, and it doesn't really lead to change. And I think this is included in the account as, as a warning, not just of what happened, but a, a warning to all of us. It's so easy in the middle of everything going on in life that we can just go after Jesus with just emotion, like a fad, like all the crowds. But a few days later, they all turned, and they did what they wanted to do. They all turned against him. And what I hope and my prayer is that we can say this phrase again, the world has gone after him. But it will be because they have turned to Jesus and have decided to follow him. Because in him is the victory. Everything everyone wanted could be found in Jesus. And all the palm trees and all the cloaks being laid down, all the proclamations and all the praise wasn't going to change that fact. Jesus was going to do what God had prepared him to do. He was going to save us. He was going to humble himself. He was going to be the king that God had sent. And so today, all of us have a choice. Like, do I live my life with that in mind? That he's the rightful king. He's the humble king. And he's the victorious king. There's a part in Philippians 2 after the passage I read earlier. And it talks about what has happened in the end. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the beginning of the story is in his humility, he emptied himself. 
and he died a death that no one would want to experience. Treacherous, awful, terrible. So he, he, he lost everything that the people had longed for, this movement of change. And then the story unfolds after Jesus rose again. And the fact we celebrate Easter is because of this, that his name is now above every name. And every tongue will confess. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've read this kind of in the context of Jesus' life and his, his ministry. But when you look at the fact that he came as the king, and even what the scripture says, it's not only will the, every tongue confess, but what does it say about the knee? Every knee should bow. And who are you bowing to? The rightful king, the humble king, the victorious king. And so I, I want to encourage you. Now, every week, I, I want people to have an opportunity to, like, okay, well, what do I do with, with Jesus? And every week, we're, we're pointing to, Will we follow him as, as the leader of our life? That's really the question all of us make. Like, will we let him lead us? Because he's the humble king, he doesn't force his way upon anyone. That's the way of his kingdom. It's, it's free will. We're not robots. He doesn't come in a power play to leverage. He actually allows our choices to be played out. And our choices make an impact for eternity. And what this passage is saying is that Everyone will actually wrap up their time on this earth when they die or when Jesus comes back. History will be wrapped up, and we're going to face Jesus. And at that moment, there will be no choice whether we will bow the knee. Every knee will be bowed. And we won't have a choice whether we confess that he is Lord. Every mouth will open and confess, you are Lord. You are king. And everyone will bow in his presence. Now, I, I forget that because often in life I just get so caught up in all that we're doing and all that we're saying, but there's this point in history where everything that Christianity rests on will come to fruition and the truth everyone will experience. And it didn't matter what they thought about Jesus or their own assumptions about Jesus. They will confess the truth. He is who he said he was, and he is who he said he is. And their knee will, will bow. But the difference between this side of history and that side is, is monumental. Because in the end, the choice is gone. Everyone will do it. But you have a choice right now to decide to bow your knee. And on this side of eternity, it makes a difference for the other side of eternity. Because according to Scripture, we're all going to face judgment. And judgment is the account of our life the decision that we've made, and and God's going to call us on the wrong that we've done. Doesn't that kind of make you shudder? He doesn't miss anything. He knows what we've done. He knows what we've said. And we're going to face him. And face to face, he's going to say, "What, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And because you have to give a payment for your sin and for the wrong that you've done, what is your payment? How are you going to pay for your sin?" What I imagine in that moment is that there's be many of us that will kind of just be searching for our payment. Just like you do, you go to a place and you're like, okay, do you take cash, do you take card? But in the spiritual sense, we'll just add, well, well, I, I'm paying for my, my, my sin. And, and some will say, I'm paying for my sin and I was good. I was good. 
do you do you take good? You know, when you add, like, do you take MasterCard? Do you take Visa? But in the end of eternity, in the spiritual sense, we're going to say, do you take good? And God will look at us and say, are you talking your good or, or my good? Because I'm perfect. And then in that moment, we realize that our good was not good enough. And our good payment's not accepted. There's nothing that we can do that's good enough to pay the penalty for our sin. Because even though in our extreme goodness, we're not good enough. So in that moment, as history wraps up, if all we have is our own goodness, we fall short. And I think some other payments that we'll offer are things like, well, I believe, I believed you were God. God will say, well, did you know that my enemies, Satan himself, and the demons believe? That's why they wage war. There'd be no war if they didn't believe I was here. Your payment, a belief, is not enough. Because even my enemies believe that I exist. And then some will say, well, my, my family, my family follow Jesus. Will you accept their payment on behalf of me? God will say, well, their belief cannot pay for your sin. What about you? You know what? Those are the things that keep me up at night. When I think of people, they're going to face Jesus. And they're going to have to pay for something that they never realized they had payment for. And they're just going to keep searching in their pockets and think, well, my good doesn't pay. My belief doesn't pay. And my family doesn't pay. Well, what? What do I have to pay? And Jesus says, it is finished. I came and I died for you. So you don't have to pay. I shed my blood. And the only payment accepted when you face him is his blood. It's the only payment because he's the rightful king. He's the humble king. He's the victorious king. His victory is the payment. It is the only payment accepted. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And no one gets to the Father except through him. And that's what Jesus knew on that donkey. And that's what Jesus knew. It even all the crowd that was after him, he knew that they would turn his back. But he knew that by his death and by him rising again, the payment could be made. And so I want to encourage you. Sorry to get all emotional, but this is important. I want to encourage you. You will face God. It will happen. And you will get to the point without your choice that you will bow your knee and you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord. But you still will have to pay for your sin. And the only payment accepted is for all those who on this side of history bowed their knee to Jesus. And so I want to wrap up with just some ways that you can prepare for Easter. And the first one, You'll see it in your handout, and it's up here on the screen. The first one is, if you've never bowed your knee to Jesus and said, you are the rightful king, you are the humble king, you're the victorious king, but more importantly, you are my king, if you've never done that, I encourage you to take that step today. You can decide to bow your knee right here and right now, and the payment for your sin is made in the person of Jesus Christ. But you have to give your life to King Jesus. You have to bow your knee. 
No one can force you to do that. It's a decision that you make. And so if you've never done that, I encourage you to write that on your connection card, right? I want to bow my knee to Jesus the King. That's the most important decision that you'll ever make is bowing your knee. Uh, There's some other ideas that I have to help you get ready. The second is uh, you may just want to spend some time reading through John 12 through 20. I've started his entry into Jerusalem. In the chapters that follow, you, you get all the twists and turns that happened as he wrapped up his life. So if you've never read that kind of all the way through, I encourage you to do that. Just read John 12 through 20. You may want to read a couple chapters a day. And that will just give you the sense of all that happened. If you don't have a Bible, we have them free for you on the info table. Another one is, is ask God to show you what you're going after. You know how the crowds were going after Jesus and then they turned and went for something else? Is there anything that you're going after that's actually taking you away from following Jesus? So that's the first thing. The second thing, are you just going after Jesus like you do a fad? Is it time to bow your knee to go all in? That might be you. Uh, the fourth is inviting your friends and family to Ridgeview's Easter celebration. The reason we make inviting so important is because we want everyone to know where to find the payment for their sin. We want everybody to know. We don't want them to be surprised. We have a duty to let everyone know this is where payment is found. The next is humbling myself and serving someone. If you want to follow Jesus or be like Jesus, you humble yourself. And so this week, in the middle of everything and all you have going on in your life, there might be an opportunity where you can stop and serve somebody. And that could be the most Jesus thing you could do in that moment. You just love and you, you serve them. Another one is daily thanking God for something in my life. If you have decided about your knee and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, what if you thanked God every day leading up to Easter for saving you? That's how you get ready for Easter. Because as you realize the cost of your sin, but then the payment's been made, we are so, so undeserving, but at the same time filled with joy because of what Jesus has done. So you may want to thank God for the Bible that helps you, the salvation that he provides, this church, your family, grace that he's given. Uh, Just think of those things. What are some things that I could thank God for? And then the last way you can prepare this isn't up on the, the PowerPoint, but this Thursday night, we're having a Lord's Supper. And Lord's Supper is uh, for Christians. Uh, this is why we don't do it on a Sunday morning, because we don't want to divide the group from people who have bowed their knee to Jesus and people who haven't. We want everyone to get here and learn what it means to follow him. But the Lord's Supper is actually specific to Christ followers only. And so if, if you've decided to follow Jesus, this week on Thursday night, we're going to have a Lord's Supper together to remember the Lord's sacrifice, to remember the payment that he made by giving up his life. And so I think that will be a a valuable time of of remembering. And also we want to ask him to show us, is there anything in our relationship between him and us that we need to work on? So it's time to clear up our relationships. And then also, is there any relationships here within our church that, messed up that that we need to clean up. And so the Lord's Supper is the time that we're going to do that. So you can write Lord's Supper on your connection card and and we'll get uh, in touch with you. And so on your connection card, uh, there's the next step box. And so just choose one of those next steps that you can take this week. 
I'm going to encourage you. It's Sunday. And you know how fast next Sunday gets here? Super fast. This is speaking of a pastor who next week I already have to figure out what I'm going to say. It comes quick. But you can make the most of the time between now and then by, by doing some of these. So I encourage you to do that. I'm going to invite Jared and Veronica up. They're going to sing another song, and we're going to receive our offering. So as they begin to play, you can drop your completed connection card in there. And I just wanted to thank just all of you who have given to Ridgeview Church so far. Thank you for your, your generosity and your, your faithful giving to help us really get, get started in this community. So thank you for that. I'm going to pray, and then we'll receive the offering. Father, thank you for your son who came as the king and died as the king and rose again as our king. And God, I know that all the world and history will wrap up, and one day we will all face you, and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. You are who you said you were. You are the leader. You are the ruler. Every tongue will say that, and every knee will bow. So, God, I pray that before that moment, we will choose to bow our knee right now. And So if there's anyone here that's not yet done that, I pray that you will soften their heart and you will call them towards you right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.